Hockey Podcast. This is a Black Hawks fan podcast ran by Hawks fans for Hawks fans. My name is Tyler. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Wally. The Blackhawks have a winning record. And Nick. This has been a fun run, but what the heck did the Ice Hogs do? And unfortunately, John is not able to make it with us tonight, but we do have a special guest coming up later on the show. Our friend Luke, who is an Oilers fan, will be joining us to give a preview about the Oilers game that will be coming later. However, before then, we have three Hawks games to recap, as well as an Ice Hogs report and a prospect report. Let's get started right away with this Detroit game. So this was back on Friday night. It was the home opener of a four-game homestand for the Hawks. And this game, it was a really, really tough start, as we would see more and more as this goes on. Hawks comebacks and performing well in ways you wouldn't expect in previous years. Yeah, the comeback kids of the Chicago Blackhawks, basically, they were fun to watch on these games on how they were getting into it to um, battle hard to come back in each of these games they were down in and how they seem to have found some chemistry in all four lines. They've been rolling all four lines and they all four have been producing well for them. Yeah, it really reminds me of uh, the 2021 Blackhawks. Uh, a bunch of kids on that team and they were just I don't know. They were very scrappy and tenacious, and I don't know. They just played pretty well together, so hopefully this this group can keep it up. And I want to bring up something, because I think this is really interesting. I'm going to start with a stat, which is that every single game this season, all six games, the Blackhawks have out-hit their opponents. Now, I want to ask each of you, do you remember a time watching the Blackhawks where they genuinely regularly out-hit their opponents? Not recently. Probably the 2010 Blackhawks. That team could hit, but after that, there was no hitting from those teams. I would have to say probably the 2010 Blackhawks. Yeah, the last time the Hawks were a genuinely extremely physical team appears to be that 2010 team, a lot of those players, especially guys like Ladd and Bufflin, ended up leaving. And then the Hawks became a lot smaller, a lot less physical. And sure, they won a ton in those years, but they did get bullied physically a lot on the ice. And that does not seem to be the case this year. This team that we have right now, they compete hard and they will check you in the next week. Yeah, it's been, they are aggressive. They're not afraid to use their body. This team is heavy. They want to fight hard to get the victory. And the way they are doing it is laying the hits, getting the shot blocks, and using their PK for advantage. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because, I mean, this is kind of what Davidson wants to build the team on, like the work ethic and stuff like that. So Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they have a ton of players here who... Sure, the fans and the media and the general consensus around the team, they might view a lot of the people on this roster as stopgaps, but the players on this team don't view themselves as stopgaps. They want to be part of the solution. 
They don't want to just be here along for the ride, taking a contract space and a paycheck, and then, you know, getting NQO'd in a year or two, and then being gone. They want to stay, and they want to prove that they belong here. Yeah, McKenzie M. was so basically said in his opening night uh, press conference, he even said, this team is here to play hard. We're here to prove people wrong. We maybe have been written off, but we are here to play hockey and play it in a aggressive way, basically. Absolutely. And also, another big thing, the forechecking. It's been fantastic so far. And there's one player who I think has been the most impressive, not in terms of him being like the best forechecker, but more in terms of, I did not see this from this player at all in the last couple of years he's been here. But Philip Kurashev has turned around his play style entirely. And him going and making the plays for himself has also given him more opportunities to show off his skill, which he's always had. Yeah, he Kershev's been very impressive in this early start to the season. He's been getting into the gritty areas of the play. He's getting into the offensive zone, making highlight reel type plays. And his style is work. It works well with how Richardson has this team structured, just to get work hard and get this team going. Kershev has that tenacity. It seems like that he wants to be here and be a key piece for this rebuild for the Chicago Blackhawks team. And he's been award like rewarded um, for his play as well. He's playing in all situations, five v five power play and penalty kill. I think. I think he may have also gotten some shifts in overtime as well. Don't quote me on that, but I mean, he's playing all situations, which is great to see. Who thought coming into this year that Philip Kershev would be one of the options on the penalty kill? Not me. Not me, but I did say Kershev could have his breakout season during the summer. Yeah, and I think that Kershev is a perfect example of how the NHL is not a video game. It's not linear. It's not simple. And sometimes just a change of a coaching staff can do a massive thing for a player's mentality and a player's performance. And you see it where last year, this team had no fight. And now everyone cares. Everyone who's there is giving it their all. And there and there's so many players on that team who are performing lights out, especially compared to what they did to start last season yeah there's no quit on this roster they want to be out there and want to grind it out to get a victory it's something to just notice because the hawks last year at this point they were still winless and uh we were booing and chanting fire colleton in the united center now that the Hawks have a coaching staff that seems to know what they want out of their players and the players have bought into it, it's a recipe for success, especially if it can lead to this rebuild playing out better where we don't see disaster on ice every single night. We may have saw it during the preseason, but we're starting to see in the regular season this team bought in and they want to win. Mm-hmm. And with that, let's get into the goals a little bit just so we can discuss this for this Detroit game. So 
we start off with um, a little bit of uh, <laughs> a little bit of uh, nostalgia and pain for Hawks fans with the first two goals. As the first goal was scored by uh, Pia Suter, remember him? Pursue Bowman. Pia Suter ends up getting the first goal of the night, and that was a weird one because Mrazek makes um, makes a save, but he leaves open a rebound, and it just goes off of Suter's stick, or go, no, goes off Suter's skate, and you know there's no kicking motion there, so obviously it just deflects off his skate and in, and it's obviously a good goal. Unfortunate bounce, but it's a terrible rebound to give up. Oh, yeah, it was. And for this game being a revenge game for a lot of players on the ice that night, Pew Suter, Kubalik, after the CU, Mrazek, and Olimata, it was an interesting game to see how it was playing out. And Pew skidding on the board did not surprise me. He did it against us last year when we were playing Detroit a couple of the la- and the two games they played them last year. And him doing it again, it just shows how the Hawks should not have let him walk in free agency. Yeah, maybe we should qualify some of our RFAs. That seems like something yeah. they should do. What a, con- what a concept. It's a concept we haven't heard with this team ever. The second goal they scored was um, was a power play goal scored by Detroit, which is kind of uh, a rare occurrence as of late, but... It was too much space given up uh, by Dickinson and Lafferty. And, you know, Larkin just walks into the slot and just unloads a great wrister. Yeah, it, it was just a key pinpoint goal that Larkin can score at a whim. He does it all the time. And the way the Hawks opened up on that PK, it fell apart there. But after that, they fixed themselves and we saw what happens later on. Yeah, and that first goal that was scored, another revenge goal. This one, Andreas Athanasiu on a penalty shot. AA put on the boosters in that to draw that penalty shot, and then the way he sh- scored that goal against Nedeljkovic was a beauty. He gets goes in wide and shoots it five hole on Nedeljkovic, and it throws him, causing the Hawks to get on the board and the momentum came from it and the Hawks are now rolling after this after this CU goal. Yeah. However, despite the momentum sort of kind of being on our side, next goal did end up coming from the Red Wings. There was a pass in the high uh at our own blue line. Uh Radish can't handle it. And then there was a shot by Olimata and it's a fantastic deflection by Dominic Kubelik. And that's revenge times two right there. Yep. Oh and did I and did I mention that Steve Eisenman drafted Taylor Radish? Also, Kubli got the primary assist on Dylan Larkin's goal that we mentioned earlier. Yes. There's so many connections, it's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's so weird because you think of Blackhawks versus Detroit. Detroit sucks, Hawks fans chant it, and seeing former Hawks playing from them, it's just a... It seems dirty, almost. I get Marion Hosa played for them for one year, but luckily he played for us, and he's getting his number in the rafters. But seeing former Hawks playing on Detroit just is so wrong. Yeah, and I think that I'm one thing is I'm surprised that there's so many connections between former Hawks who are now Red Wings and former Wings who are now Hawks. I'm surprised there's so many connections between the two. Yeah, 
I think the thing I would say is that, unfortunately, with the conference realignment, it does feel like the rivalry has taken a step back. And it's unfortunate, and I think that 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 players don't feel like like they're causing they're that they're doing a sin by switching teams. I mean, you know, you'd almost want to say that it feels worse to see a former Hawk on St. Louis now. Cough, cough, Brandon Sod. Yeah, that's cursed. But yeah, I know what you're saying. But honestly, that Hawks Wings game did feel like one of the old. Blackhawk Detroit rivalry games from pre uh, conference realignment and when the Hawks and Wings were actually competitive when they went to a game seven and a and the second round of the playoffs. Thank you, Brent Seabrook. Um, but th- this game had that mentality. It felt like it felt like both teams had that rivalry itch that they hated each other. They were laying hits, and it got to the point where. We're seeing some aggressive play between the two teams. Yeah, and I think that the aggressive play um, came quite soon after an unfortunate play. Um, Mrazic ended up getting hurt, and then and we had to bring in Alex Stalock for the rest of the game. And I mentioned that at the time, the score was 3-1. Uh, to one. Red Wings didn't get another goal that night, and we'll discuss what happens as we keep going. So the Hawks end up getting their second goal of the night, and... It's another goal from that Dickinson Kurashev Lafferty line. I really love this line. It's been working well, and the way it, it how Kurashev scored this goal sparked the team. I get. I said that after the CU one did, it felt like it kind of sparked them a little bit. But the Kurashev goal was the key goal that got this team into it. And they were not going to lose that game after Kershaw put in that goal. And then just a little bit later, Hawks are on a penalty kill, but they get an offensive zone draw. And it's one back to Connor Murphy, who takes a really strong wrister and just gets right through. And it's a tie game. Connor Murphy wrist shot goal on the penalty kill. Who had that on their bingo card? No one. And who had a defenseman scoring the a shorty on the bingo card before a defenseman scoring a power play goal for this team? The the goal was an absolute art by Murphy. It was a great shot by Murphy. It wasn't going to miss the net. How he lasered it up, shooting that puck from the blue line after the faceoff win. It was a big by one of the assistant captains on this team. Yeah, I think the big thing with Murphy there is his start to the year, especially those first yeah, first game or two, wasn't great. And Murphy's season last year wasn't great either. And there's always been times throughout the years where you've questioned how good really is Connor Murphy. Mm-hmm. But when he scored that goal, you could see how much he really cares. Oh, yeah. In his celebration, that man is excited. Oh, yeah. He put, he, I feel like he knew since he's one of the captains on this team, he may have not been wearing the A that night, but the reason is he's the road captain. But he was excited and it felt like the team got around him. Yeah. And as Tyler mentioned, it's nice to see um, that he had a good game because. He has struggled this year, and I think this is the first time in four years that he's averaging under 20 minutes a game. Um, so hopefully, like, he starts to rebound. That would be good to see. I didn't even notice that. 
He's under 20 minutes a game? Yeah, 19 minutes and 34 seconds. I feel like that's a good thing for Murphy, so he's not playing as much, because think about it. When it was Murphy and Keith, we were viewing Murphy more as our number one defenseman. Since getting in Steph Jones, Murphy hasn't been relied on as much putting the minutes in, and it's probably going to rejuvenate his game. Yeah, and say all you want about Seth Jones. The one thing you can't take away from him is the fact that his endurance is ridiculous. The dude's a minute monster. Yeah, and then after that, game goes to overtime, and I would like to apologize to Max Domi. Oh my god, that defensive play was so good. And then the he made the right decision on the two-on-one. The defenseman shaded Kane, so he took a shot. And it was a bullet. Calls game. That's a win in the home opener, in overtime. Empty the benches. Cue the dagger. I know that he's not a rookie, but that that was kind of a rookie mistake from Lucas Raymond. Oh, yeah. Probably should have gotten rid of that puck a little earlier, but Domi just took it off of him and then scored. So It was a huge goal for Domi, and it was a huge victory for the Hawks in that overtime him not passing to Kane, if he passed to Kane, he probably would have cost the Hawks the game. But with him shooting there, it was a dart. And the way he stole that puck, I knew the Hawks were going to get the victory. Yeah, and we'll mention it again later, but look at that game. That's a comeback victory. And we saw it against San Jose. Comeback victory. They were behind and they ended up getting back. They ended up coming back and winning that game. Against Detroit, they ended up coming back and winning that game, down two goals. Maybe the problem with why they couldn't beat Vegas is because they only were ever down by one goal. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, um, it was just, it was a fantastic play. And a lot of people there will try and force the pass to Kane. But with the defenseman shading Kane so obviously... It's good to see someone in that position is able to make the right decision and say, this is my shot because the pass isn't there. And it's, it's especially nice to see from Domi because I feel like he's kind of been forcing passes to Kane um, for most of his time in Chicago. So it's nice to see him take that shot and score. Hopefully that gives him more confidence to keep doing that. Mm, yeah, especially especially throughout the preseason, that seemed to be a problem. But it seems like everyone's really loosened up since the at games actually, you know, we entered the regular season, especially since we started this home trip. Yeah, I would agree, especially watching that disgrace of a hockey game I saw in St. Louis. Uh, ever since the Hawks have bought in and it looks like they are comfortable, they don't have a... They aren't tight, and they just want to play some hockey for fun, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And then, next game, Seattle. So this was another home game. Obviously, I said we have a four-game homestand, which goes all the way until uh, Thursday. And we have this game against Seattle. And in this game, this was an early start time, because this game started actually at 1 p.m. But once again, unfortunately, Hawks fall behind 2-0 third straight game they fall behind to nothing and both these plays both these goals that were scored personally i'm putting the blame on jack johnson on both of these there was a weird dump in attempt by johnson which ended up getting kicked out in front and caused a three-on-one horrible positioning there from alex Stalock. he was 
I don't know how he found himself that far out of his net, but it was just an easy tap-in for uh, whoever was in front there. I think it was um, McCann. Yeah, it was Jared McCann who scored that goal. Uh, yeah, the Jack Johnson situation and those two goals against, it was bad. Um, him falling on the ice leading to the three-on-one doesn't help, but the goal that he gave, uh, who he basically did the turnover on the second goal that cost the Hawks two goals against, but Jack didn't look good for the first two, but after that, it seemed like he kind of redeemed himself later on in the game. Yeah, and the thing with that second goal that Seattle scored, they there was a breakout pass, and it ended up at Seth's feet, and there wasn't really anything that he could do with it, and then it got turned over, and then Burkhoff's get a great shot. So once again, Hawks are behind the eight ball, unfortunately, but this team never quit mentality, and they found their way back. They fought back real hard, too, by getting a penalty, and it sparks the team. What do we expect with this power penalty kill with this Hawks? It sparks them. And, well, answer Jujar Kara. Yeah. Great goal. Um, Another rush situation. Uh, A rush situation off of, you know, the um, Seattle had their uh, ozone time because they were on the power play. Hawks go the other way. and then. Um, it was a uh, very, very poor, uh, goaltending the entire night by Martin Jones, but I mean, he was just, he just had a horrible night, but, um, you know, it squeaks out in front and then Kara's just able to tap it in. Yeah. Uh, Jujar steals the puck going when the Kraken were trying to enter the neutral zone, he steals it, feeds it over to Blackwell and Blackwell feeds it right back to Jujar and Jujar gets a wide open net, and he taps in. It was a great goal by Jujar for another shorty for this team, the fourth of the year. And then, just before the end of that first period, Hawks now on a power play. This is uncharted territory. Now we have more players than them. And you know what? Despite that, we can still score. Can't score five on five, I guess, but there's a goal right there. And it's a nice goal by how the Hawks battle for it, too. Yeah. Play started by Tyler Johnson, and then he gets rewarded with the goal off of a bad rebound by Martin Jones. But the goal uh, was based because of a great uh, slap shot one-timer from Seth Jones. And then in the end, Tyler Johnson. In the most uh, generic last-name trio of assist, goal scorer, and goalie. Yeah, Jones, Johnson, Jones. Such a law firm name. You gotta like Seth shooting on the power play this year, oh, too, because yeah. I know last year, I mean, what, it was since like April or something of 2021, the defensemen haven't scored a power play goal. I mean, we still haven't, but if you don't shoot, you're not going to score, so it's nice seeing Seth Jones taking shots on the power play, and it, it created that chance for Tyler Johnson, so it's nice to see. Steph looked good on the power play, quarterbacking it, and he gets a present for himself by helping the Hawks get some points off these two power plays coming up. Yeah, first one, he gets gets um, an assist there, and then it's another apple right away. Uh, early, we get a power play late in the first, but then it continues into the second, and right away, very early into the second period, another another shot from Seth Jones, and this one, the rebound is left out in front, 
and Domi has the has the weird like turning backhand and he just shovels it into the into the net and it's three two and the Hawks have a lead. And the celebration from Domi was a fantastic as well. And you can really see the buy-in from all these players. And it's a, another a physical goal. He won the battle in front, and he got rewarded with that goal. Yeah, he got rewarded for that goal. Uh, and just how the power play goal set up was perfectly set up. But this league does not last long. No, it does not. It lasts less than a minute. Not even 30 seconds. Less than 12 seconds after the goal, this happens. Maddie Berniers. Um, yeah, this one, uh, the goal was scored by Matthew Berniers, but I would just say that I honestly would put this entire goal on Alex Stalock. Yeah, I mean, Stalock kind of got hung out for dry on that goal against because he, all three Kraken players were in the slot and... It gets right onto Bernier's stick, and he just taps it right in, basically. Yeah, I I think that the defense didn't help him out, but Stalock didn't do himself any favors with his positioning. I mean, he was, like, standing up, facing one direction, while the puck was going through his feet on a cross-crease pass into the front of the net. It's the weirdest thing ever. I think he looked... I mean, I don't know sometimes with Alex Stalock. Like, there is so much chaos with the way that he plays and the way that he is, is like, he's, I mean, he's flopping around like a fish all the time. I mean, he's everywhere. Uh, yeah, he is. But he actually can make a pass, too. At the very least, it's entertaining. It is entertaining, especially with how entertaining this Blackhawk team actually is. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, maybe Stalock is, like, the perfect goalie for the energy that this team is giving off. I mean, he has a a goals against of a 209 right now, so Stalock's doing himself some favors. <laughs> yeah, he's not the tank commander that we thought he was going to be. No, not at all. So that right there ends up making it a 3-3 tie game. And later on in the period, it ends up being a fourth goal for the Kraken. Um, slot shot by Vince Dunn off of a rush opportunity. The defenseman hopping into the rush. And it's an unfortunate uh, situation because I remember watching that shift and the entire play develop. And that's probably one of the best defensive shifts I've ever seen from Patrick Kane. Yeah, didn't he lay the hit on Don? He laid the hit on Don. And he was and he was trying to back check. And unfortunately, Dunn just got there first. And obviously, that's not even his responsibility to cover that spot because that's supposed to be on the center, which is Domi. But Kane had a fantastic defensive shift, and unfortunately, it, it ended up not mattering there. Domi and Kane go both get back late into the defensive zone. That's what basically costs the goal against. But whatever. The Hawks are the Hawks and they're coming back, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess we have to come back. I mean, they they did it they've done it in the previous two games. They've already done it once this game. So why not? No more goals in the second period. But then with about 10-ish minutes to go. In the third, things start to pick up. 
And then with about seven to go, the Hawks get their tying goal. And it's that damn Jonathan Tays line again. They are so impressive so far. It's been a lot of fun watching Tays Johnson and Radish put up <laughs> the way they've been going because a lot of people were writing off Jonathan Tays. A lot of people have written off uh, Tyler Johnson. People were thinking Radish could have his breakout, but this line works well. They have the chemistry, and we see a goal come from it. Yeah, I think uh, I think Taylor Radish actually started the play. I think he forced uh, Shane Wright to make a rookie mistake, and that kind of started the whole shift in the offensive zone for this line. Yeah, Radish had a great forecheck there. Uh, then he ends up getting the pass where he feeds it behind the net following trailing behind his Taze, and now Taze right behind the net. Bullet pass, tape to tape, right under the stick of Johnson, who's in the slot, and he just fires it. For a second of the night, Tyler Johnson gets on the board again, and it was a beauty the way they all set up Taze uh, Johnson and Radish. You gotta love it, and how they were passing. We see a similar goal a few seconds later happen. And it's everyone's, uh, I mean, how many, all of our top three lines, everyone, I mean, sure, there's some issues here and there with that top line, but the second line, the third line, everyone is falling in love. And Khrushchev, Dickinson, Lafferty, Khrushchev, Lafferty start to play, and then Dickinson, he just throws it on net. And it's top cheddar, one hole right there, right over, um, right over uh, Martin Jones's blocker, and it's in, and it's a lead. Can we just remind everyone that Dickie came from Vancouver, and Vancouver cursed themselves by trading him? It seems like. <laughs> okay, I want to remind. I want to say something on that topic. Um, when we were discussing that trade, we didn't really understand what Vancouver was doing by making that deal. I didn't think that Jason Dickinson was going to be this good, but it also is worth mentioning that when that trade was made, that was a cap dump move for Vancouver because after that, I think that they started the season $1 under the salary cap. They did? And the fact that they still haven't won a game and Dickinson is 4-0 and oh with the Blackhawks, it's actually <laughs> impressive. Oh my god, he's 4-0. and oh. He hasn't lost, and the Canucks haven't won since that trade. Yes. And they gave us a second round pick. Yep. Thank you, Vancouver! <laughs> oh my god, that is quickly becoming the funniest... Buyer's remorse, instant impact trade of all time. I don't know. That Sam Lafferty trade might also be up there. Yeah. Same line. Same line right there. It's the same line. It's a fun line. We got... Okay. It's a fun line. Got two guys with great nicknames. We need to come up with a good nickname for Kurashev. But the way this goal happens is pretty much similar to the... Uh, goal that Tyler Johnson scored 13 seconds prior. But this line with Dickinson, Khrushchev, and Lafferty, it's fun. They get into it. I would even say it right now on this podcast. 
It's the best third line in the NHL right now. I would have to take some time to to tell you if I agree, because I don't know. Just just thinking about it's 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 been a very impressive third line. I just don't know with like what the other teams in the league have. I not I don't know a ton about that, but they have been fantastic. So to far. even have that discussion is like crazy. Like to think that they're one of the better. <laughs> we can even say that. Yeah, I mean, like Tyler Johnson has six points. He's leading the team. Dickinson, Lafferty, and Kane all have five, and then Domi, Kurashev, Radish, and Taze all have four. This team. Who would have had it, though, on the docket that Sam Lafferty would have been leading the Blackhawks in points at one point in this season? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, you know, you look at those four, you look at those three players right there. Those three have combined for 14 points in the first five, in the first six games of the Hawks season. And one of them didn't play in the first two. Yeah, it's been insane. I love this line. And keep it up, boys. I love this Kurashev Dicky Laffy line. Still need a nickname for Kurashev. <laughs> we need a nickname for Kurashev, but with the way that he's playing and his new mindset, he's slowly turning into a guy you could refer to as the Swiss Army Knife. Honestly, yeah. Well, the the roles that he's been put into, he is a Swiss Army Knife. Power play, penalty kill, even strength. He's doing everything. Honestly, he is the Swiss Army Knife right now. All right, we got the Swiss Army Knife, Dickie, and Laffy Taffy. I love it. That's our that's their nicknames, and we love it. They're awesome. Let's keep it going. But then again, now, look at what we've got. Three consecutive wins for the Hawks. Hawks have a winning record. And now, we head into this game against Florida. And I would say for the first time this season, the Hawks are the better team in the first period. Oh, definitely. The Hawks came out playing strong. I get it. Shots on net were split 7-7, but the Hawks were frankly the better team. Florida, most of their shots were one and done in the first two periods of play, where the Hawks were getting those opportunities and getting them off rebounds and trying to get extra opportunities. The Hawks came out on fire, and it worked. Absolutely. And that first goal the Hawks scored, bullet from Taylor Radish. Definitely. Uh, two minutes and 53 seconds into the game, Taylor Radish puts on the power play goal for your Chicago Blackhawks, assisted by Patrick Kane and Tyler Johnson. It was a great passing play. The Hawks were coming in through the neutral zone. Kane gets it to Johnson. Johnson gets it to Radish, and Radish rifles it past Bobrovsky and the Hawks are now on the board early and it's the first time the Hawks actually have a lead to start a game. Is Taylor Radish better than Brandon Hagel? Taylor Radish <laughs> has four points in six games while Hagel has three points in seven games. Hmm. You are pulling at my heart right now. Um, We will circle back to this conversation in about uh, three weeks. Sounds good. Um, but beyond that, once again, the Hawks don't really score a ton of goals at five on five. Start the game. It's a power play goal. Um, however, their next goal that they scored, and it's the first goal of the season for the one and only Patrick Kane. 
And this one is a five-on-five goal, and it's a five-on-five goal for that top line who has had some difficulties converting their chances so far. But Kane, Athanasiu, and Domi all get points on this goal. In the way this goal happened, it's similar to the two goals from the game against Seattle from the uh, goal for Tyler Johnson from Radish and Taze and the Lafferty uh, to Dickinson goal. It was very similar in how it was set up. A lot of these goals, the Hawks are scoring. They're winning those board battles behind the net and getting the puck up and getting it into a pure goal scoring situation. And Kaner snipes it past Bobrovsky. I think my favorite part about this goal, you look at the time left on the clock when it was scored. 23 seconds left on the clock. Scoring a goal just before the intermission break. Fantastic. I love it when that happens. I love it when you can get goals right before the period ends. And I love it when you're not, I hate it when you're allowing goals right before the period ends. Because it's such a momentum shift to have that extra goal on the board. And now you don't have much time to respond. And heading into the break, it's a massive change in momentum and a change in mentality as well. It can help a team or sometimes it can bend a team backwards and we don't see it exactly happen that way, but we do see the arms go up by the refs quite a bit to start the second period. That's, uh, that's, that might even be under-exaggerating. <laughs> I mean... So, um, so the first penalty that was, uh, that happened, uh, was a high stick. Um, I believe it was McCabe. Jake McCabe, uh, double minor... So that's four minutes in the box. The Hawks now have to kill off a four-minute penalty. That came two minutes and 11 seconds into the second period. Mm-hmm. Hawks killed the four-minute double minor. And a few seconds later, Sam Lafferty gets sent to the box at 6.20. Yeah, nine seconds after, I believe. And it was on the same player, to E2 Lusterinen, so. Yep. He had himself a good game, though. Loose to Ryan. But Lafferty gets sent to the box for tripping. They killed it. This team, uh, I swear, they want to get sent to the box because they play much better when they're in the box. They really do. (laughs) Sam Lafferty, and then they kill that penalty. Only a minute after they kill that penalty, back in the box again, Tyler Johnson gets called for a tripping on Matthew Kachuk. And then they kill 25 seconds that penalty until Jason Dickinson. So now we have another penalty killer in the box. We Not only do we have to go a full double minor, then we had to go another power play we had, we had to kill off. And that one was with one of our best penalty killers in the box. Then we have another one just a minute later that turns into a five on three for over a minute. And how many goals the Hawks allowed in the power play this night? Zero. Ow. And one know how many shots against on the Blackhawks in those sequences of penalties. I think over those four penalties, it was like a total of five shots. It was a total of three shots against on the Blackhawks and though all those penalties. The double minor, then another minor, then the five on three. Between all of those, they allowed only three total shots? Yes. In the double minor, they did not allow a single shot. In the Sam Lafferty minor, they allowed one shot. 
the Tyler Johnson and Dickinson, when they went five on three, they only allowed two shots. And when Dickinson came out, no shots after that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> can you do anything other than just laugh at that? That's unreal. Even without some of their best penalty killers, too. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. It's impressive because you have a good defenseman for the PK sent into the box for four minutes. You get Sam Lafferty, who's one of our key PKers, gets sent into the box for two minutes. You get Jason Dickinson, who's with Lafferty on most of his penalty kills, gets sent to the box for two minutes. Tyler Johnson, he plays a few penalty minutes every now and then, not all the time. But he gets it to the well, box. Even, even with Tyler Johnson not really being a penalty killer, you still have one of your key penalty killers in the box with and you're on a five on three. I know. It, it's ridiculous. How do you, the Panthers of all teams who have after you could chuck Alex Barkov, Sam Bennett, players who are known for Sam Reinhardt. Sam Yeah. Anton Lundell. You have all those players, but you only get three shots in a total of eight penalty minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was a crazy thing. At a certain point, it almost felt like Chris Vosters and Troy Murray didn't even feel like they were. It almost felt like a simulation, and you could they, in their voices, it they felt like they weren't watching something that was real. It was. I was like, when are we going to score our shorty? Because. It seemed like the Hawks had more offensive zone time on those penalty kills than the Panthers did. And I want to bring up a weird question just for both of you about this. At what point do we wonder if it's on purpose? At what point do we wonder, are they just taking penalties intentionally because we play better when we're down a man? Yeah, I personally don't think so, but I'm sure that they're... I'm sure that they have some confidence like the penalty killers do when they go onto the go onto the ice and have, you know, have some of those shorthanded goals, so Yeah. Obviously I don't think I don't I don't think it's intentional, but at a certain point you're like, okay, you're playing better when you're down a man. Are we sure you don't want to be in this situation? It it just seems like this team builds their momentum. After the penalty kill, which who would have ever expected that this season before this four game winning streak? Absolutely. And then, you know, after all that time where we were killing penalties, the entire first half of the second period was just killing penalties after killing penalties after killing penalties. We then get some opportunities to play five on five. And about halfway through that, you know, second half of the, you know, about 15 minutes into the second period, you know, about halfway through, you know, the non-crazy penalty minute section of that second period, Philip Kurashev. I know that Gustav Forsling was hobbled and couldn't really move, but that was still a fantastic dangle and a wonderful goal on Sergei Bobrovsky. It definitely was, and the way I we should mention this did come immediately after the Hawks were on the power play. They uh, Matthew Kachuk was sent to the box, and then the Hawks had power play time for the two minutes. And about five seconds after the power play, this goal occurred. Uh, the way Kurashev deke through 
it was a highlight reel goal, and good thing he did score because it cushioned the Hawks going into the third period. That's for sure. Yeah, it was wonderful. And we've seen Kershaw do stuff like this before. I mean, what was it, the 2021 season? Was it against the Red Wings, I believe? Yep, it was against the Red Wings. I remember which one you're talking about. National TV game. Yeah, he made them look stupid. Let's just say that. That was, um, I remember that vividly. He he stole Troy Setcher's skates. Oh, yeah. It was unreal. I would say this goal was much prettier than the goal that he did that in 2021 against Detroit. That This goal was a highlight reel goal that Kuehl loved to keep in memory because how he was able to score it. And then, you know, we have a 3 nothing lead heading into the uh, heading into the third period. And, you know, the Hawks feel confident. Hawks feel comfortable. But we do come kind of close to, you know, potentially blowing that lead. Yes. Um, the Hawks were pretty much stuck in the defensive zone. I would have to say almost for the full third period this game, they were outshot 15-6 to six in the third period of play and the Hawks just could not get the puck out of their own zone to just try and save themselves. Stalock had to make some timely saves at points in this third period, but Lusterinen at 11.32 gets on the board for the Panthers and you could see the momentum is all on Florida at this point because just about a minute later, Matthew Kachuk with a redirection up front of the net um, makes it a one-goal game. Yeah, and at that point, everyone is kind of like, uh, what's happening here? Are we actually going to blow this lead? You know, we're in a good spot right now, but this could be a problem. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a scary moment for the Hawks, but knowing how we... Should expect this team isn't the greatest, but how they're playing, they're playing great hockey and playing against a team like the Florida Panthers, who were known for coming back in games last year. I was expecting a full comeback by the Panthers at after the Looster Reining goal. I thought we could be seeing a tied game at any time in this third period, how the Hawks were stuck in their own zone for so long. If this was last year's team with Jeremy Colleton or uh, Derek Kane, I think they probably would have blown the lead. Oh, yeah. I definitely think so. I think that that game ends in regulation, honestly. Yeah. I could see it because that's how things went last year with the Hawks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's fight. Sometimes it's the spirit. Sometimes it's a little bit of luck. And sometimes it's Alex Stalock ripping off his own helmet. Yeah, but... Let's be honest, ripping off his helmet when he gets hit in the face. I don't blame the guy, especially with a crazy uh, movement of the puck up front of him. I don't blame the guy for knocking off his mask to uh, get a stoppage of play. Yeah, but it is funny how, you know, last last week uh, John was here and we were talking about that. And then, you know, it happens just, like, a couple games later. But at least this time it wasn't a penalty. 
Yeah, it wasn't a penalty, but it maybe could have been if people would have noticed it more. Yeah, but then we would have scored short-handed, so, you know. Or more, more importantly, knew that Spalock has done this before. Should mention, we did kill a penalty after the two goals happened by uh, Florida. We did kill a, a, another penalty to go six for six on the penalty kill, so that was nice to see. Yeah, six for six tonight, a fantastic night for the penalty kill unit. Um, but no goals, so like, oh my god, you're trash. <laughs> the power kill is officially over. Power the power kill. You know what's funny is I think that the power kill was what Jeremy Colleton's penalty kill used to they used to try and call that a power kill as well. But it wasn't even it wasn't anywhere close to what the hell they're doing right now. Um but then in the end, you know, after a couple of attempts in at an empty net. They do end up getting one, and, you know, regardless of whether there's a goalie there or not, fantastic wraparound by Jonathan Taze. And with him beating the icing, that was a difficult play to fit, to wave off the icing there, get the puck, and score the goal on the wraparound, which we've seen it play a number of wraparounds from Taze over the years. Oh, yeah. That might have been an empty net goal, but I think that that deserves all the credit in the world because of all the things that he did, which weren't necessarily goal actions, but created the goal just the same. And they were very, very 2022 Hawks in the way that they were done. He fought, he skated hard, and he beat the icing, and then he's got the goal, and he was rewarded for that. And Dickie gets an assist on it as well. So, Tyler, what you're saying is we're going to get a first for Jonathan Taze at the deadline. Um, I think that, why not? But if he's double retained and his cap is only two and a half, then yeah, I think he's worth a first. Here's the thing. We should mention, this is one of the first times we've seen this happen in a, since, uh, the, walk, since the shortened season before, from the pandemic, start, like where the pandemic Froze our season. This is the first time we've seen it happen where Jonathan Tease and Patrick Kane score in the same game. And it's been a long time. Wait. Oh my god. Score a goal in the same game by Jonathan Tease and Patrick Kane since uh, 2020. Oh my god. I can't believe that's a real fact. Yeah. Uh, and we do... There is one unfortunate thing from tonight's game, and it really, it really does suck because this is probably, I mean, I think this is definitely my favorite, my favorite, uh, if it isn't Philip Kurashev, then my favorite uh, return comeback player of the year uh, so far is Tyler Johnson. I was expecting a lot of things from Tyler Johnson at the beginning of last year. I mean, he's coming over from the from the Lightning. He won back-to-back cups. He was fantastic for a couple years before he was kind of stunted down the depth chart for them just because there were so many breakout performers ahead of him that weren't even expected to be as good as they were. But he comes here, and he has a horrible start to the season, playing center, and it didn't work for him. Then he gets hurt, misses a ton of time, and he has a horrible season altogether, just like the rest of the Hawks. But this year, he's playing on the wing, and he's been fantastic. But unfortunately, he had a foot injury, it appears. He ended up leaving the stadium in um, a boot. And I don't know how long he'll be out. It hasn't been announced yet how long he's going to be out for. But 
that's a massive loss. Yeah, hopefully TJ has a quick return because that Tyler Johnson tease in um, Radish Line has probably been our one of our more consistent lines besides the Kershev, Lafferty, and Dickinson line. But seeing Tyler get injured again, it sucks because he was he's had a great start to the season and. The fact that he suffered so many injuries last year with his neck and then because of a dirty hit that should have been a suspension by um, Vincent Trocek. I'm not getting into that. He should have been suspended. But um, the way Johnson dealt with the injuries last year and that if he has another injury this year, it sucks because he's playing so good right now. Yeah. And I think that with that situation, if Johnson's going to miss the next game, then we're going to have to find a way to um, to fill those spots. So I think that what you have right now is Reese Johnson will come into the lineup, but I would assume not on the second line. How would you guys fill the holes that are done so far? Who would you put on that second line? Where would you fill the holes in, in the other spots? I would honestly do this. I would call up Lucas Reichel to give him a shot in the NHL, see what he wants, see how he's doing. Because right now, Rockford isn't playing competitive. The Blackhawks are playing competitive. It will be nice to see how he does up on a competitive hockey team again. Uh, maybe give uh, maybe give Reichel a few shots in the NHL lineup, but. Otherwise, I could see them fill it in with uh, Reese Johnson. And where would you put Reese Johnson on the depth chart, and how would you mix it up? I would put Reese down on the fourth line, and I could even put, I would even say maybe put Entwistle up on the line with Taze and Radish, because we did see it a couple times last year at the end of the season, and actually it did kind of work when they were on the same line. I could see them try something where Inwistle is up with Taze and Radish and not shake up all the lines too much. So what I would do, I think I'd probably leave Lucas Reichel in Rockford. He's over a point per game, I believe, but he hasn't been great this year, if I'm being completely honest, from watching their games, uh, which we'll get into later. Um I'd personally move Colin Blackwell up to that line because I think he has a lot of similarities to Johnson. Um, or Tyler Johnson, I should specify, since there's three on the team. Um, and Boris Kachuk is going to be back soon, and i just slot him in on the fourth line where uh, Blackwell is playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a similar idea. Um, I think that, you know, I think Kachuk will be back soon. But I don't know if he'll be back for Thursday. So in that game, you're putting Reese Johnson on the fourth line. And then after that, I would say you move Blackwell up to the third line and Kershev up to the second line. I know you don't want to necessarily break up that line, but I think that in that position, you know, Kershev is playing in a mindset right now where he would do the same stuff that he's being asked to do right now on the third line when he's on the second line. So I don't think that you're going to get that change. If it doesn't work, then you can switch it up and flip Blackwell and Kershev. But I think you give Kershev the runaround on that second line with Taze and Radish. That's fair. 
That's fair. I would, I would, I'm fine with that. All right. Um, and then, uh, last thing before we get into the prospect and Rockford report, uh, we released our reverse retro jerseys and we have our Jersey expert here, Nick and everyone I have seen an opinion of so far hates the Chicago reverse retro jerseys. Are you with them? Uh, well, I am going to get the Jersey. It's going to be the ugliest jersey in Blackhawks history because it's the first jersey ever to not have a crest on it because Adidas seems to want to do the Hawks dirty on how they want to do stuff because first reverse retro, they released the pictures and video of it. They didn't even show our, show our crest on the front of it, which is the logo for people who are wondering why I'm saying crest. But... Um, they put a word mark saying Chicago on it. Okay, I'm fine with that. But do something else. I like the fact they're going with the barber pole style of jersey, but go with a uniform that is a true reverse retro. If they wanted to do a barber pole jersey, all you do is reverse the stripes on the collars where the stripes are... Um, going to be black, and the jersey is a primary red jersey. All you do that, and then you put the same logo you had on the first reverse retro, which was also on the original barber pole jersey, and you have a good reverse retro. But Adidas apparently gave the Blackhawks three jerseys, and they had to choose from, because that's what Jamie Faulkner said on a few other podcasts I've listened to. Yeah, so it seems like they weren't given many choices from what you said. Yeah. And Jamie, apparently Jamie Faulkner was actually really open. To- yeah, it sounded like it from the other podcasts I listened to. And uh, this reverse retro, I would say, yeah, it's our worst jersey in Blackhawks history. That's unfortunate. Wally, any thoughts? Uh, I am not a fan. And I also heard that on uh, the CHGO podcast and she did not seem very enthused about the three options that they were giving i i it makes me want to know what were the other two if this is the what we ended up with because this one's bad i can only imagine what the um what the rejected options were i i i just want to know what they look like because this jersey that they end up going with it's a bad jersey I'm going to own the flipping jersey, but it's a bad jersey. Yeah. Um, you know, what I will say, though, is that Danny Wirtz and Jamie Faulkner have really promoted transparency so far. So I wouldn't be surprised if they actually, like, do kind of, you know, leak the the rejected uh, options like options two and three that weren't chosen just so everyone can see like this is how bad the rejected choices were jamie and danny if you're listening to this podcast which we know you aren't <laughs> which we know you aren't please leak the other two reverse retro concepts that adidas gave you because i want to know how bad those two are with 
how this reverse retro jersey is. I get it. The jersey was leaked back in August. And everyone had the same opinion as what it is when it gets released on release day. Because we saw what the leaks were and we were like, please say that's not true. But now it's true. Please show us the other two concepts. That is everything for the NHL stuff. We're going to take a very quick little break. And then when we get back, we will head into our prospect report, our Rockford report. And just after that, our special guest will be here to join us for a Oilers Hawks preview. See y'all in a bit. All right, we are back. And it's time for our prospect report. As always, this will be led by Wally. You can find him for our prospect coverage at CHI underscore prospects. That's Chicago Prospects on Twitter. And you will be able to follow and stay up to date on what's going on with all the Hawks prospects over there. So Wally, what's been going on in the land of prospects for the Hawks? So we have some bad news to start off with. Uh, Auntie Sarala, um, he twisted his ankle um, on Friday the 14th. Um, the recovery time is unknown, but he hasn't played in the past few games. Yeah, and I believe we discussed that a little bit um, on the last show, but now we know a little bit more about it. He's still not back and not sure yet about recovery time. Yeah, the... Uh... I believe his team is Luco, and they did not release an injury report. They just said that he was going to miss some time uh, with a twisted ankle. So, Hopefully he's okay, and it's not. I'm just hoping it's not a break because I dealt with a twisted ankle that broke my leg last uh, year playing hockey. So hopefully it's not that case. And it's also a very important year for him, too, because this is his last year to earn a contract with the Blackhawks. So it'll be interesting to monitor. Yeah, and starting that year off with an injury is not the best thing. No, definitely not. Um, and maybe even worse news, uh, Colton Dock is week-to-week with an upper body, body injury, which to me, I believe, was a concussion. He got hit in the head up high, um, and he suffered that on Saturday the 15th. Yeah, and this is another one that we discussed on the last show a little bit. Still not back. He only He's only played in three games so far. Left that one game early, and he's not back yet. Hopefully he'll be back soon. But again, you don't want to rush him because this is a quick uh, – it's a quick uh, return after a concussion for him to get hit in the head once again. Yeah. Hopefully Docker gets uh, healthy soon, but – don't rush him to it. Hawks have him locked up anyway, so don't rush him to uh, getting back into the lineup anytime soon. If he's When he's good to go, then you can let him back in Kelowna. On the bright side, Kevin Korczynski is off to a very hot start with 12 points in six games, and he's just been crazy good for Seattle to start the year. But the way Korczynski's been playing... That's an impressive start for coming in to the year after being drafted. This is a good sign for the Hawks and the for the future to the blue line. Yeah, especially with how Kuczynski played in the preseason for the Hawks. He performed so well then, and now he's carried that over, and he's massively exceeded his performance from last year. 
in the WHL already in probably the lowest scoring CHL league. Yeah, and Ortsinski is the probably viewed as our top defensive prospect in the organization right now. And with how he's playing, keep it up, kid. We can use it, but keep playing strong down in Seattle. He might even be the best overall prospect in the system, which if you asked me a few months ago, I would have uh, Nazar in front of him. Um Moving on, uh, Gavin Hayes is point per game um, with Flint in the OHL. He has 10 points in 10 games, which is great to see. He's, he's mostly been playing top six and power play. Um, yeah, he's, he's looked good. So. Yeah, that's a great start. Yeah, it was an uh, early third-round pick for us in the most recent draft. Yep. But, you know, being a third-round pick who's coming into this year and now he's point a game in the OHL, very impressive start, and hopefully he can keep on it, you know, possibly even improve it. I don't think the Firebirds are that good of a team anyways, so being this productive on that team, I believe, is really good. Yeah, I don't think Flint's really ever been one of the top teams in the CHL, so him doing having a production like this is actually pretty nice to see. Uh, moving on to the NCAA, there's two prospects who are point per game. Uh, Jake Wise, who has eight points in eight games, and Ryder Rolston, who has six points in six games. Yeah, fantastic starts for two of um, two of the like lower, uh, lower uh, rated prospects, but they're off to really good starts, especially for guys uh, in a quality conference in the Big Ten. I know Ohio State hasn't been the best hockey program over the last couple of years, but Wise is finally finally healthy and finally getting an opportunity to show how good he really is. Rolston also is playing a lot better than Slagger at the moment, which is surprising. It's not something I thought would happen, but Rolston has a really high ceiling. He's a really good skater, and if he can, if he can, you know, maybe we'll see him in Rockford at the end of this year. Maybe we'll see Slagger in Rockford at the end of this year, but Rolston's got a high ceiling because he's a really strong skater, and if he can really uh, hit that level and this production that he's shown so far this year is something that he can maintain, that might be a true gem of a trade. Yeah, and he's also uh, he also has a very good shot. I mean, there's a lot to like with him, and that might that was a good piece of business trading away. What was it, Carl Soderberg? <laughs> it was Carl Soderberg for um. Oh my God. Oh my God! You know who we got in that trade? Wasn't it Dickinson's brother? Yes, we got Josh Wait, what? Dickinson. <laughs> oh my God! In that trade, we acquired Josh Dickinson. Are you now? He's in the ECH. He's in the ECHL. We NQO'd him. We never actually kept him, but we had Jason Dickinson's brother on our payroll for half a season. So he was playing in uh, Indy. Yeah. Oh my God! I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I didn't make that connection until right now because, you know, I, I, I was like, oh, that's, jo that's Jason Dickinson's brother. But I, it wasn't until just now that I registered that as, you know, a Hawks player because now Jason Dickinson is the Hawks player. Yeah. Interesting. I did not realize that. That is a, that, that is a Keith Seabrook moment. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely is. And the last prospect I want to talk about is Ethan Del Mastro. He's off 
to a very good start in the OHL. He currently leads all OHL defensemen in points per game with 1.57, which is ahead of Pavel Mintyukov, Christian Cairo, Ty Nelson, Dmitry Kuzman, just to name a few defensemen. Yeah, those are guys uh, with a lot of offensive talent, especially a guy like Kuzman for Del Mastro, who is seen as a shutdown defenseman, as a hitter more than anything. To be better than those guys in points per game, unreal. Way, way better than I ever thought was capable for him. But again, I said that last week, and he's kept it up. I guess uh, getting the honor of being a captain on that team is really up him to really flourish in his play and put up the points. And that's everything for our prospect report. We'll keep that going as the weeks continue to bring you more and more coverage on how the Hawks prospects are doing over each week. Thanks, Wally, for your help on that. No, no problem. All right, and let's get into this Rockford recap. Uh, the Hawks had two games. No, the Hogs had two games. Saturday and Sunday. Both of them were home games. First one was against the Wolves, and the second one was against the Moose. But before we get into any games, we have to discuss the brand new mascot, Free Ice Hogs, which I don't think this is the official name, but people are dubbing it the quote-unquote Skinny Hammy. And um, if you haven't seen it yet, I warn you, it's nightmare fuel. And there's a petition out. Yes, there is current as Nick as Nick said through uh through fainted laughter. Um there is currently a petition that has over 2000 signatures that is set up to bring back the old mascot because this new mascot the face it's terrifying. John tried to warn us. He tried. Yeah, John tried to warn us. He told us long before it was public knowledge that this was happening. This mass, the new skinny hammy, it is the, okay, you know how in New York there's those random people who are on the streets and wearing, like, knockoff uh, Disney costumes of, like, Mickey Mouse and stuff? (laughs) That's what the new skinny hammy is. It's a knockoff hammy mascot of the fat hammy, which was a better mascot, less creepy, Still creepy, but still nicer looking. This new one looks like it's Skip Leg Day. The face doesn't look like a... The face does not look like a pig. It looks like a freaking devil mixed with a pig. And the helmet they put on it doesn't even look like a helmet. It looks like a garbage bag. (laughs) Skinny Hammy is a knockoff version of a... Of the regular fat hammy. Bring back fat hammy. Uh um the the mascot, the smile, it's so horrifying. <laughs> the thing it looks like it, it looks like it's staring a bullet through your soul. Yeah. It is not pleasant looking. Yeah, and you know what? I would I would have to assume that that is the last thing that every Hogs player sees before they go out and lay a stinker. (laughs) I mean, they have been doing that the last few games. Yeah, so let's get into these actual games that were played. The Hogs played the Wolves on Saturday, 
at the BMO. It was the uh, home opener at the BMO. And I don't know if this team even showed up. They lost 4-1. to one. I was expecting coming into the year that the Blackhawks were not going to be very good at all. And they were going to be kind of a lifeless team. But I thought the Ice Hogs were actually going to be able to show up. It appears like we are having the exact opposite situation. The Ice Hogs team, not good at all. They look lifeless. Yeah, uh, they have zero offense, and goaltending has not been the greatest. Soda Bloom in his first two starts were not good, and then they've had to play uh, Jackson Stahlberg in the second, the home opener and the um, second game at home in the BMO, and he hasn't looked that good either. The Hogs just don't have life out there. Michael may have put up a couple points here and there, but the Hogs just don't look like they have any compete to their game. Where we were going at the beginning of the year, we were saying the Hawks weren't going to have the compete, and the Ice Hogs were. And I thought it was going to be smart to send Reichel down there to be on a competitive team. Well, look who's a competitive team, and look who's not right now. Yeah, the only player that's really impressed me with their work ethic, especially, has been Brett Sini. Everybody else has been kind of, eh, hasn't been great. Um, I have not liked Adam Clendenning. He has not been good at all. Um, yeah, and the one thing I would say as well is that, so that Sunday game, I believe that Dylan Wells ended up starting, and he got pulled. He got pulled after two periods. Um, but... I mean, the points totals don't look terrible from a couple of guys, especially uh, Luke Philp, Brett Sini, and David Gust all have four points each. And I was quietly impressed with David Gust in the preseason. I didn't really mention it, but I thought that what he did was not bad. So I think you've got a quality AHL player right there. But then you have Reichel, six points in four games. I know you're saying that he didn't look amazing, but... He's clearly, if he's not looking amazing, and he's got six points in four games, then he's too good for this league. Yeah, that that might be part of the thing. I think he might just be, he might be thinking too fast, and he might be expecting people to be there when they're not. Um, Because sometimes he, like, forces passes, and maybe, if he was in the NHL, maybe guys would be there. So that could certainly be a possibility. maybe maybe the time to call him up could be sooner than we thought. Because maybe protecting him in the AHL isn't actually protecting him. It might be hurting his development. But uh, Reichel's playing well, but it doesn't seem like Reichel how he was in his rookie campaign down in Rockford. It's only four games so far, so I wouldn't rain alarm bells. It's something definitely to keep an eye on, and he is above a point per game. So, I mean, still pretty impressive. But with how the Ice Hogs are playing, it just seems like it could hurt uh, Reichel and how he's performing soon. Yeah. I think the one thing with the Ice Hogs is, I don't know how long Peter Morazic really is injured for, but as long as Peter Morazic is out, Arvid Soderblom will be in the NHL. And as long as Arvid Soderblom will be in the NHL, the Rockford Ice Hogs have arguably the worst duo in the AHL. Because you have Dylan Wells, who's effectively an ACHL goalie, and you have Jackson Stober, who's a rookie that was playing in college last year, who's not anywhere near ready to be an AHL starter. So if Mrazic's out for a while, 
then what you need is you need to find some veteran so that this team doesn't completely implode on itself. Yeah, and to be quite honest, the closest goalie I would have to say that would be the next goalie for Rockford to be after Sotobloom, who's not even signed yet because he's playing college, would have to be Drew Camesso. He's off to a slow start right now this season, but maybe after the end of the year, he signs his entry-level deal with the Hawks, and we could see Camesso get some time down in Rockford, potentially. Who knows? But Soto Bloom, the Ice Hogs run better when Soto Bloom is in net. Oh, absolutely. I think that you would want probably someone who's more experienced, maybe somebody on a free agent market or somebody who's currently like a fourth goalie for someone who could do as a four, as a third goalie. I don't know, you trade like future considerations or a conditional seventh to someone and you get a, a true AHL starter. Obviously, that's only really necessary if Mrazek is out for longer than like three weeks. I mean, they could have done it by claiming Colin Delia off waivers the other day. Yeah, but if you're claiming someone off waivers, then they're going into your NHL. Yeah, that's true, but that means Delia would be the backup to um, Staylock right now <laughs> instead of having Soto Bloom stuck in the mm-hmm. NHL, not getting time in, not in the net. Yeah, I think that when it comes to you know, maybe you want to bring, maybe you want to bring in another goalie. I don't think you want to bring back Delia, though. I think that his time with the organization came to a little bit of a rocky end, a little bit of a difficult end, and I think that it's just good if the two parties are separate. Yeah, I can agree there, but I'm just, I was just throwing out a name because I did recall that uh, Vancouver did place Delia on waivers a few days ago, and... It's sent to Abbotsford, so it's an interesting thing. The Hawks need to find a third stream back, like third stream goalie, where when Mrazek is injured because he gets injured all the time, we have someone as a third goalie, and then Soto Bloom is getting the time in net down in Rockford. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but beyond just the players who we have, there are some guys who aren't performing all the best in Rockford, which is expected from a team that is one in three. Uh, one of those guys that is a guy who I honestly expected a lot more from would have to be Josiah Slavin. Currently this season, he has no points in all four games that he's played, and he's at a minus six. Yeah, it's been a rough go for Slavin. I think it, I think Slavin will bounce back soon, but... It's been a rough start for him. Yeah. A lot of guys on this Rockford team with uh, goose eggs across the board in terms of points. Yeah, he's playing with your uh, favorite player, Tyler, Mike Hardman. So that could explain yeah, it. That doesn't help. <laughs> that, explain, that, that explains it perfectly. Okay, well, it's also worth mentioning that Cole Gutman is also um, on injured reserve. Well, I don't know if it's injured reserve, but um, he's currently out with a concussion that he suffered against the Moose in the first game of the season. Another concussion? Yeah. Ludwinski, Doc, Doc again, and now Gutman. My goodness, so many concussions. 
Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because I I forgot who he ran into, but it was like it was like uh three guys, one on the moose and then two on the ice hogs, kind of just ran into each other, and it was just really unfortunate that that happened. So, but other than that, ice hogs not off to the best start. They have a couple more games this weekend. Hopefully, they'll be able to turn it around. They'll likely not have Soderblom. It'll likely be whatever is uh, Stauber or Wells or whoever else they can find to fill that spot. But that's going to be the plan for them going forward. Hopefully, they can pick it up. Um, you know, Reichel's been playing well. Uh, he's got he's good putting putting up points. But you know, there seems like there could be another gear that he could reach. Hopefully, he's able to reach it over the next uh, couple of games. But other than that, that's going to do it for our Rockford Report. And when we come back, we are going to be joined by the special guests that we mentioned earlier, Luke, who is going to be here to help us preview this Edmonton Oilers game that the Hawks will be playing on Thursday. So, we will see y'all in a bit. All right, we are back. And we are very happy to be joined by a good friend of ours, someone we've known for a while, Luke, who is here. He is an Oilers fan. He's here to help us preview the game that the Hawks will be playing against the Oilers on Thursday night. Luke, how are you doing? And how have the Oilers been so far this year? Uh, Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, the Oilers have kind of been up and down this season. Just win one, lose one. Just they're three on three heading into a three-game road trip in the States. And what's important for the Hawks game is they'll be in the second of the back-to-back. So might be feeling a bit tired after their first game on Wednesday against St. Louis. Um, well, with how the Oilers have been playing, kind of with their more running-gun type of play, I've noticed this season, even though they've been kind of up and down. Um, going against the Hawks, would be interesting just because the Hawks work ethic, um, grinded out hockey could actually slow down like a Connor McDavid, maybe a, even a Leon Dreisaitl who are coming in to Chicago where they tend to dominate the Hawks in the past few years. Um, but who else don't they dominate? They dominate everyone in the league. But with how the Hawks are with Al Richardson structured this team. It could be an interesting way this game could turn out because we could even see a potential of a Arvid Bloom in net from what the rumors are. Yeah, um, I think that the guy who will probably be um, a key to look forward or to look at for this game is honestly uh, Sam Lafferty and Jason Dickinson duo. I think that those guys have the speed and the defensive quality and they never stop working, that if you put them on McDavid or Dreisaitl, and uh, just a quick question, are they playing on the same line together right now, or are they usually separate? They're separate. They're separate right now? Okay. So I think that what you'd probably be looking at is looking at like the McDavid line and maybe trying as many opportunities to get Dickinson, Lafferty, out there against them and see if they can find a way to not really neutralize or shut them down, but maybe just slow them down and maybe just annoy them. Yeah. um, I'm actually very interested to see how those two will do against like four checking wise against the Oilers defense as they're very giveaway prone. They're top two defenders, uh, 
Nurse, and Bouchard have combined for 23 giveaways in in their first six games. So it's kind of worrying, especially with the kind of structure the Blackhawks play. And in terms of uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, uh, McDavid has kind of been not shut down completely, but compared to the rest of his production, the Hawks have played him quite well in his career. He In 14 games, he has 15 points. So McDavid-wise, that's pretty low. But Dreisaitl, on the other hand, is in the midst of a nine-game point streak against the Hawks, and he has 16 points in that span. Yeah. Um, I don't remember um I don't remember Drysdale playing all too well when we had that play-in series. Yeah. However, I remember uh I think part of that was the fact that uh one of his line mates who ironically enough was Andreas Athanasiou at the time had a really horrible series. He did. He did. They trade 2 seconds for him or something like that at the deadline. Yeah. yeah. 2 seconds for like 8 games. Let's hope we can get a similar return. I think that, you know, Drysaddle didn't have the best time back then, but as of more recently, especially, I think he's been performing really well against the Hawks. But as I think we've said before, this is a very different Hawks team than what we've seen in the past, not just in terms of players, but also in terms of mindset. They go into games thinking we have nothing to lose because no one expects us to do diddly squat and they work their tails off because of it. Yeah, the way the Hawks are, they they don't have quit, and they play to the final minute of play. They may get outplayed in one period of play, but they tend to come back and play hard. Even though the last game did not work out the way the Hawks would have liked it in the third period, but the way the Hawks play, it's usually the first period of play. They don't show up as well, but when it comes to the final two periods they are there to play hard nose hockey yeah that's that's actually exactly the same with the oilers um pretty much all this season we've had bad starts every game usually going down by a goal or two and one thing that sometimes decides the game is when they're down who gets the next penalty so um whenever a team has a has a lead against the Oilers, it's key not to take a penalty because whenever they get a power play, that just rejuvenates their offense. For example, last game, they're down 3-1 to one against the, the Penguins. Oilers get a power play. Tyson Berry gets a, a quick, like a kind of lucky one, but it still goes in, and they score four goals that period and take over the game completely. That's massive. Yeah, every game it's been like that. Yeah, now a big thing for the Hawks in that sense is the fact that as of late, our penalty kill has been not only fantastic, but like above and beyond because they're also scoring a ton of goals in their own right. I think in the last four games, the Hawks have scored more shorties than they've allowed power play goals, or at least close to it. At one point, the Hawks had more shorties than they had five on five goals. That's insane. Wow. It's just that do or die mentality, right? Just go for it. You know, just be aggressive. Sometimes that takes teams by surprise. You can get a few shorties. Yeah, well, it's something to look out for because the Hawks on how they play when it gets to the PK, they tend to get 
better with their play. Sometimes they seem like they want to go into the box because they play so much better being down a man, which is something for a recipe for disaster. But the way the Hawks are, they tend to seem to love to get to the penalty box to play some aggressive hockey. Yeah. Would you guys happen to know the their power play and PK percentages? Um, well, the power play and penalty kill percentages are a little skewed because the first game they were terrible. When they okay. played against the when they played against the Avs that night, it was really really bad. I think that they they allowed four power play goals out of the five goals they allowed that night. They allowed four power play goals, and I think that was on only six penalties, six penalty killing uh, opportunities. After that, it got a lot better. The percentages for the Hawks on the power play and penalty kill, the Hawks are 33.3% on the power play for conversions, and on the penalty kill, they are 81.5%. But in the last uh, four games in the winning streak, the Hawks have um, gone 15 for 16 on the penalty kill. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And in that time, they have scored four shorthanded goals so they've allowed one power play goal and they've scored four shorthanded goals that's amazing yeah and that's an interesting matchup against you know a team that is historically so dominant on the power play because you have the one-timers from dry and you have you know creative players like tyson berry on the point and then obviously there's mcdavid who's there and with that against a red hot penalty kill that can break for speed and get on man rushes the other way at any chance. It'll be interesting to see if that can, you know, decide the game. Yeah. Tyson Barry manning the point offensively on the power play is is great, but defensively, any kind of pressure against him, he he just cracks. So with the Hawks aggressiveness on the penalty kill, I think they could definitely get a few chances. If if they capitalize on Barry's mistakes, mm-hmm. I think the one guy, the two guys that I think you'll see go after him a lot, Sam Lafferty and Colin Blackwell. I think you will be seeing Colin Blackwell going in for very, very aggressive stick checks against Barry while he's trying to rush it up the ice and see if they can cause a turnover and get something going the other way. Yeah, yeah, and uh, for the Oilers' penalty kill, it's. Ever since that first game against Vancouver, where they went 7 for 8, I believe, on the penalty kill, it's been straight up terrible. It's been kind of, the story's kind of been kept quiet, but right now their penalty kill is at 74%. But ever since that Vancouver game, they've allowed 6 goals on 20 20 attempts, 20 shorthanded opportunities. Which is kind of, kind of surprising because ever since Jay Woodcroft came in, they've been very good penalty killing wise. But it's something to be, something to be worried about, especially against the Hawks' like power play, which has surprisingly been really good. Yeah, I don't really trust the Hawks' power play to be honest. I know we've scored uh, a couple of. I know you we have the goals. And we have the, the the numbers to back up it being a quote unquote impressive power play. But in terms of like the actual guys out on the ice and what they can create, besides for like Patrick Kane, there isn't anything overwhelming that 
you know, you look at and you're like, this is a hundred percent like guys that can attack yeah. on the power play. Yeah. But they are and performing well. And if you're going up against a penalty kill that isn't performing well, you can get goals on any night. Yeah, and it's been it's been six games, so maybe maybe we shouldn't overreact on both sides. Like like Arizona, for example, they have a thirty percent power play. So I think just with some time, then teams will really show their true colors, special teams wise. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I also think that if you're looking at um, if you're looking at trying to project what's going to happen for just one game going forward, looking at their streaks and the form that they've been in at the moment is very important to view it, even if it's a small sample size. Games are won on very small sample sizes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You guys want to talk about the goaltending matchup? Well, first off, who are your two guys? How have they done? And who do you think will be the one starting in net on Thursday? Yeah, so right now we're kind of running a Jack Campbell-Stuart Skinner duo. Campbell's been taking most of the games, but to be honest, he's, kind, he's looked kind of shaky in most of them. Usually takes some time to settle into a game and then usually will let in a bad goal. But the thing that decides the game usually is a big stop or um, just standing on his head for a few minutes. But honestly, he's kind of been a bit a bit of a disappointment so far. Skinner, on the other hand, he's been great. Just He's played one game. No, he's played two games. Uh, came in relief against Calgary and shut them out for the rest of the game and played against Buffalo and let in three. But otherwise, I expect Skinner to be in net against the Blackhawks because they're, as I said before, they're in the second of a back-to-back playing the stronger opponent in St. Louis on Wednesday. So I expect Campbell to be in net Wednesday and Skinner Thursday. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, you know, you have a back-to-back and that back-to-back is St. Louis and then Chicago. And both those teams are physical teams. I mean, you wouldn't really think about the Hawks as a physical team over the last like 10 years, but that's kind of their identity right now. And getting that intensity in back-to-back nights for a team that more is that is less about uh, playing intensely and more about relying on skill and high-end talent it might be a difficult, uh, difficult stretch for them to handle those two in consecutive nights. Yeah, yeah, and uh, physicality-wise, Dylan Holloway is a story to watch because he's been hurt since the third game of the season, and as a result, we've had to play a man down, um, so seventeen skaters instead of eighteen in the rest of our game since Holloway's not severely injured to be put put on. IR, but he's still traveling with the team. So it's kind of 50 50 to, to see if he'll be playing on Thursday or not. Is your cap situation really that bad? He, yeah. We've, we've gotten to, I think, within hundreds of dollars of the cap. So we can't, we can't call anyone up right now. And going back to back with one man down will definitely make a difference. Ken Holland masterclass. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you think that in the end you'll see Skinner as the guy on that Thursday night? Yeah, yeah, I do. Campbell had a 
a bit of a shaky performance against the Penguins on Monday, but he rebounded the rest of the game and was solid after the first period. So I expect them to go with him against St. Louis and then Skinner against the Hawks, likely. They could they could easily switch it up because Skinner hasn't seen any game time for, I think, three games. But I I expect Campbell on Wednesday, Skinner Thursday. Okay. And then for the um and then for the Hawks goalies. I feel like uh it's probably gonna be Staylock again. I believe that Richardson said that uh that Soderblom wouldn't start um until the weekend and the back to back. So I'm gonna assume that this is Alex Staylock playing against the Oilers on Thursday. Okay. And Staylock so far has been um, chaos. Chaos. Chaos incarnate. I have never seen a goalie outside of his net as many times as I have seen Staylock outside of his net. I wish you could see Mike Smith for 42 games for three years. Okay, I'm not talking about going outside your net to play the puck. I'm talking about like just being out of position randomly. Oh, really? I mean, we saw that with Kevin Lakinen last year. He was flopping like a f- dead fish out of water all the time last year. Dead fish flop? <laughs> <laughs> I meant a fish out of water, Wally. Yeah, but we saw it with Kevin Lakinen last year where he was flopping like a fish out of water all the time. We would see it every game. and But with how Stalock has been, he's been actually playing the puck at least, but still somewhat out of position, but not looking like Lakin and flopping around in the net, not knowing what the hell he's doing out there. How's uh, how's Peter Mrazek been? Injured. Injured, I see. How long is he out for? He's on IR, we don't know. I think they said uh, like a week, I want to say. I don't think it's going to be too long. Yeah, it seems, but it's his groin again, so it's like not good for him because I believe he's been injured. Um, like I believe most of his injuries have been groin related throughout most of his career, so that's that's not great. Yeah, and he's had some injury problems throughout his entire career. In your guys' opinion, do you think Soderblom is NHL ready? No. Do I think do I think he could do a job in the NHL? Yes. Do I think that he should be in the NHL at the moment? No, I don't think that it's the best thing for his development. But I think that he'd be okay if he was put in a decent position. Yeah, I kind of agree with what you said there, Tyler. But I would also add that maybe with how they threw him in last year, it didn't help him. But when he was in Rockford, he was outstanding. This year's team, it could be a little bit different story for Soto Bloom up front of him. We kind of saw it in the preseason. He looked outstanding in his one preseason game. But otherwise, I think he needs to be back in Rockford playing games, winning games, because right now Rockford has not been so good. I would love to see that young goaltender battle. Soto Bloom against Skinner. Oh, that'd be great. That would yeah. be a fun matchup. I believe both are 23 years old. Yes, correct. 23. And also, um, 
uh, Stuart Skinner, my favorite fact about him is the fact that the draft pack, the draft pick that was used to select him is the only thing you got for Nail Yakupov. Oh, man. That's a fleece, then. That is a fleece. You traded away Nail Yakupov and got a guy who eventually became a decent goalie. I think you're okay. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a win for us. Oh, who made that trade? I think that, that may have I think been. That was, that was a Shirelli trade. I think that was Shirelli. Was like I want to point out, Peter Shirelli is an elite drafter. I actually want the Oilers to bring him back just for scouting. Like, he has drafted so many good players. Yamamoto, McLeod, Bouchard, Skinner, Jones, Bear. Like, they, it's all coming together right now. And it's, it's, it's just, just that like, after they're drafted, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Exactly. Trades-wise, signing-wise, he just puts on a blindfold and throws darts on a board. Well, the Drake Kajula trade ended yeah. his career. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brandon Manning. Oh, Brandon Manning. Proceeds to get suspended in the AHL. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> sorry, sorry, we torment you a little bit there. Oh, that just brings nightmares. I remember seeing that and seeing Brandon Manning brought back to Edmonton. Like, oh, that that just brings nightmares back to all Oilers fans. Like, what what was McDavid supposed to do? He's supposed to say like, "No, Ma- Manning can't play on my team," and he wasn't even good. That trade was just it's all the little ones, you know. Yeah. Um, all right. So, um, any final thoughts on the game at all? Yeah, I just wanted to point out that if the Hawks, I think this will be a high scoring game. I think that will, like, I think that will favor the Oilers scoring wise. They obviously have more firepower, but if you shut down their offense, they're just dead in the water. Like, they, the Oilers are pretty much good to give up three to four goals per game. If you can get them under that number, then you're sitting pretty good playing against them. Yeah. I think that in the end, the puck will be on the Oilers' stick for like 70% of the time. But the game might still be close despite that. Yeah. Like, if Stalock can stand on his head against his former team, like, for example, Eric Comrie did... Um, then I think the Blackhawks will have a good chance of winning. Mm-hmm. All right, so score predictions going around, Luke? I'm going to say 5-4, to four, Oilers win in overtime. All right. Wally? I'm going to say 6-3, to three, Oilers. I think their offense will be too much to handle for the Blackhawks. All right, Nick? Well, I my prediction against the Panthers was wrong. I know that, but because they have a good offense, I was going to maybe go with a four-two game, just like the Panther game, but in favor for the Oilers. All right, and then for me, um, I think that in the end, what I'll say is I think the final score will be something like, eh, something along along the lines of like six to three, and that's what I would. Say going into the season, and that's how I would feel before this year. But that would be for the Oilers. But I don't know something about this team, the way that they compete, the way they fight back in games, and the way that they work their asses off 
I think there's something there that they could just they could just capitalize on some level of um of quit that could be in some of the like the top skilled Oilers defensemen, especially not not necessarily McDavid and Drysdale, more so guys like Barry and Nurse and Bouchard. I think those guys could be exploited more so. And I think in the end, I'm going to go for something like a five to four win in regulation for the Hawks. I don't know. I'm being optimistic here. Hawks on a four game win streak. Hell yeah. I could, hey, I, I'm okay honestly, with that. I could see that. Like Hawks getting that four game winning streak and Oilers first back to back of the season, first road trip. I could definitely see the Hawks surprising the Oilers. And then I'll make a separate prediction here. I think that the Oilers get two power play goals. And I think the Hawks have at least one shorty. Okay. That's a bold prediction. Yeah. But that's how the, that's how both teams have played so far. That is the that is the way that things have gone. Oilers are still sputtering to get off the start line, to be honest. Yeah, and you need to pick it up quickly just because um, you know, Western Conference is tight. Yep. The Pacific Division is a lot stronger than the Central. But that's everything that we have for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Luke. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It was a great time. Thank you. Uh, and then thanks so much for joining uh, us as well, Nick. It's been a fun run right now for the Hawks. Let's go, Hawks. Hell yeah. And Wally? Go, Hawks, go. I've been Tyler, this is the Hockey Podcast, and we will see y'all next time. Music for this podcast was Cool Rock by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by by forward slash 4.0.